0: and Sagittarian Matters, advice on art, capitalism, and success from my live conversation with author Beth Pickens at Floating World Comics. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the matter with you? Sagittarian Matters. Hello from Portland, Oregon. Producer Panyo and I are finishing up a teaching residency, telling seventh graders how to make comics. Uh, I lied. It's just me. Producer Panyo sits at home waiting for me to get here and walk her. But my energy is very low because it belongs this week to about 250 different 12-year-olds who live in the outskirts of Portland, Oregon. But Producer Panyo has some excellent news, which I'm here to relay, and that is that she is a finalist for the title of Canine Grand Marshal of the Rose Festival. I think that means that Ponyo would ride on a float opening up the floral parade in Portland, Oregon. Okay, if you're here, if you're in Portland, and you want to cheer her on, the Canine Coronation Ceremony, also known as a dog pageant, is next Wednesday, May 23rd from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Heathman Hotel. Uh, Ponyo and 19 other finalists will be strutting their stuff across the stage, and you know I'm going to be living my Patsy Ramsey, Toddlers and Tiaras best moment. If you come, I encourage you to bring a sign and to cheer on Ponzini Linguini as I parade her across the stage trying to get her to do the tricks that she knows how to do, which between you and me aren't very many. She knows how to shake a hand. She knows how to jump through a hoop. As long as the hoop is made of a human's arms and not a hula hoop, because that is too loud and once the sound of one scared her. Anyway, um, you can get tickets for that, which benefit the Humane Society through OregonHumane.org slash caninecourt. They're only $10. Let me tell you about today's episode. Today's episode of the podcast was recorded live in conversation with Beth Pickens in front of a studio audience at Floating World Comics in Portland, Oregon. Beth is a Capricorn, an arts consultant, a strategic planner, a grant writer, and a regular on this podcast. You can find her new book, Your Art Will Save Your Life, through Feminist Press or wherever books are sold. Now please enjoy my talk with Beth Pickens. Beth Pickens? Yeah. You are a counselor, you are someone who loves artists, you counsel artists, Mm -hmm. and you help coach them about getting comfortable with money, getting comfortable with their own work, keeping their own work going within a capitalist system. Mm -hmm. What are three things that every artist needs? What are artists' three basic needs? The three basic needs as
1: I see them? Yeah. So the theoretical underpinning of my entire consulting practice is that I see artists as people who have... Uh, they are compelled deeply to make things, and this this compulsion, if you will, it is um, it keeps them sane. So artists need to make art because it's a way they take care of themselves. It keeps them grounded. It keeps it helps them relate to other people and to themselves, and that's different from people like me who don't have that and other non-artists who don't need to make things in order to have that, right? And what I've observed in artists over the years is that when they are not making anything, they become ungrounded, depressed, anxious, disconnected from themselves and other people. It has a real enormous impact on their lives and their life quality. Uh, I see it over and over and over again. And that's just different, like I said, than me and other people who aren't artists. And so what I've identified that artists need as sort of a foundation. This is the thing that when I meet a new client, I'm observing and assessing for, to see if these three things are in balance, and they're written about in the book. One is, an artist has to make art. Above and beyond all else, they have to have a practice where they are creatively engaged, whatever that looks like to them. Without expectation of output, without too much pressure on it, they have to maintain a practice. The second thing is, they need a community of other artists. Artists must have a community of other, of other artists who also want the same things. Um, and not a community of people who are crabs in the bucket trying to pull each other down, but of artists who want big things for themselves and one another, who are generous and supportive. Um, any discipline, all disciplines. And then the third thing is artists need to take in work in all disciplines, old things and new things, things they like, things they hate. They need to refuel through taking in new work. So those three things I have found sort of set up this foundation for things to build and flourish. And when I meet an artist that has one or more out of balance, and they frequently do, the first thing we do is set it up to reintroduce these into their lives.
0: Um, A few things. Well... One of the things is, how do you find some people? You know, ask me how do you find an artistic community that's supportive. Mm-hmm. I feel lucky enough to have gotten tapped into a queer literary community and to the you know Portland comics community through the IPRC, where people were always boosting me up. There's always certain people that are Debbie Downers, and I would kind of be like, oh. Because, you know, people that say one thing that sticks in your craw for a Mm -hmm. long time. Yeah. And the way that I keep going is by kind of like, er, like steering away from those people. Mm -hmm. Because I'll hold on. For every ten nice things someone says about me, the one person who says something rude or weird, Mm -hmm. I'll just repeat that over and over in my head. Totally. So how do you you suggest that people find and cultivate a community Mm -hmm. around art?
1: Yeah. I mean, it depends on where you live. I mean, you all are really lucky. You're in a place filled with artists, and some people are in places where they're really isolated, and there's not a ton of artists. There's not. It's hard to get to one another. But in a place like this, I would say, if you don't, if you find that you don't have that, or the people you're surrounding yourselves with are sort of that, like kind of tear down methodology, and they don't want good things for themselves and other people, and it feels a little toxic. I would start with just putting yourselves. Put yourself in the conditions of meeting new people like actually do the work to be in situations where you're encountering new people or if you know a really cool artist who you want to be in community with they probably have friends be like hey can i be friends with your friends i've done that
0: you have yeah
1: some of my favorite people i met through another person i'm sure other humans in the room have experienced that too but building community can happen in so many different ways i would say try places and things that you haven't done before Uh, Invite people into your space if you have a studio or into your home, if that's where you make work, just to have conversation and have like sort of low pressure experiences to talk about being artists so you
0: can try each other on. But that community piece is so crucial. Can we talk about something that you mentioned in your book, which is Shine Theory, Mm. which uh, was coined by Aminatou Sow from the podcast...
1: Call Your girlfriend, girlfriend, Anne Friedman and Amina Sow. They are uh, podcasters who have this podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, that I'm a huge fan of. And um, Amina is a digital strategist, and Anne is a journalist. And the, they're feminists, and they're feminist writers and thinkers and culture makers. And they have this theory called shine theory that goes like, if you don't shine, I don't shine. And it's this feminist way to approach sort of collaboration and friendship that i really like and i've always admired that about them and i think they really articulated and nailed it that when the people i love shine i shine so when you're doing well i'm happy for you because that means something great about me too i have this experience because i know a ton of artists um And that's mostly the people I know in life. Anytime I open, like, The New Yorker, I'll always know somebody who's in there or wrote something. And I don't think, like, oh, God, I'll never have that. I think, oh, my God, how did I build a life that I know somebody who wrote something for The New Yorker? That's incredible. It makes me feel really good about myself. (laughs) And I, I actually learned also this sort of generosity piece. I wrote about that in here, too from my friend, Michelle T, who, you know, where would either one of us be without Michelle T? In the gutter. In the gutter. (laughs) And all her literary community building that's been a part of her practice with writing. She was also always building literary community. Those were the two things side by side. And something I learned from her a long time ago was that she was never jealous or envious or spiteful when someone she knew got something. She was really, truly excited for them. And because of that, because she's wired that way, then she, she didn't have the sort of like toxic feeling bad when other people succeeded. She's just like, this is amazing, the people I know are ascending and getting these great things. How
0: tremendous. Well, also, that toxic feeling kind of isolates you. Too well, it
1: feels bad. Like you have to live in that feeling, which feels awful. Well,
0: it feels bad, and then you cannot authentically show up for people when Mm -hmm. they have successes, and so then like you're kind of not around that much.
1: Yeah, totally. Because it's
0: not great for you, or you're faking it, and then like it. So the more that you're psyched for other people and can bring them into your orbit and give them opportunities, the more opportunities they'll give you. Totally. And the more comfortable they'll be sharing success with you. Yeah, I agree. I highly agree. And also um, something that goes along with that is the idea that there's not scarcity. No. So you know, Michelle T is. Uh, a queer a queer woman who is from a lower class background who is living in San Francisco and if she didn't have a sense of scarcity that there's only enough room for this many kinds of person right.
1: yeah and that's what capitalism teaches us right that's like what the White supremacist capitalist patriarchy teaches us is that there's not enough resources to go around, and so we must fight one another for them. And while we're doing that, the ruling class can maintain the majority of the resources. We know that's not true. Thinking people know that's not true. It's up to us to take resources and redistribute them. And so I think scarcity and poverty mentality really hurt artists and, it, I mean, that talk, that, that, who wants to live feeling that way? We're all going to die. Here's the thing. I have that app that tells you five times randomly throughout the day that you're going to die. Just like five times a day at any time my phone will just buzz and it'll say, remember, you're going to die. And then it takes you to a quote if you want to read the quote. And I really like this because I, you know, we're, we're both obsessed with the same feminist mortician, Caitlin Doughty. Yeah.
0: Of... The Good Death.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. She's written really great books about death. So part of, like, my kind of practice of living is I read about death a lot. I consider death a lot because it keeps me in the present. and really makes me think, like, how do I want to live? Who do I want to be day to day?
0: Well, this is a great place. I feel like Portland is a very specific place to host a conversation about capitalism and art. Mm. Because Portland, for me, has always been a place that is, like, You're making your art and, like, what is money? Don't even worry about Mm -hmm. it. Like, if Portland could live on a barter economy, I feel like it would. Mm -hmm. Or at least amongst the artist community. Maybe not New Portland. But so I feel like talking about money Mm -hmm. or being um, motivated towards financial success or asking for money for your work Mm -hmm. is something that sometimes people look down on. Mm -hmm. Because we have a lot of idealism here and we have a lot of community here. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, don't you want to give it back to your community? Why are you Mm -hmm. wanting to charge? And So this is an interesting place, I think, to talk about capitalism and poverty mentality. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think...
1: You know, all of my clients have some sort of money damage. Me too. Through family, identity, different kinds of socialization, I share that with all of my clients, sort of repairing my relationship to money. I teach a six-hour workshop called Getting Real with Money where we engage all of this. But the thing is, like, we, while we're critiquing capitalism and working to sort of chip away at changing it and creating more equity, we are also living in it. And we're actually, we actually have to be in reality. And the reality is even in a place that values sharing and bartering, like you still actually have to pay all of your bills and we're gonna live a lot longer than we think we're going to, statistically. So the, I think getting kind of rooted in reality about money is hard for a modern adult no matter what. And artists have this extra challenge because being an artist is such a weird job. Other jobs have sort of clear paths of promotion and pay scales, pay transparency, expectations. And being an artist is this peculiar thing where it's like you have this whole job that maybe doesn't even pay that you are so driven to do that you work other jobs in order to get to do that thing. And that's different from non-artists. We don't do that. When I'm not working my job, I'm not working another job. I'm watching... TV or something else <laughs> I'm hanging out right so it, it's funny because so often I'll hear from artists my clients will tell me like oh I'm procrastinating I'm really lazy and I'm like I don't know lazy artists you know do you realize that non artists don't have an extra job that they do <laughs> like it's not lazy that's not what's going on right now um, but so for, so anyway, so my clients, I work with them a lot about personal finance and sort of getting real about money. And that critiquing capitalism and, and all of our feelings and issues with capitalism that are very real and we must be active, those are separate. That's a separate noodle from the noodle of how am I taking care of myself? How do I take care of myself financially? Because if I can't take care of myself, I can't help anybody. And then once I take care of myself and my family and my household, then I get to share with my community. And I get to start putting all kinds of resources to build the kind of community I want to live in and the vision of justice that I have. And money is just a tool. It's just a resource that we project meaning onto. And through the history of people, the, the meaning has usually been pretty terrible. <laughs> but it can also be really empowering and be money can like change people's lives and make things so much better and easier. It gives people choices. It doesn't buy happiness, but it gives people choices. And so I do a lot of work with my clients to repair their relationship to it and earning it. And a lot of my clients have no experience negotiating. They feel guilty or ashamed asking for money. They've gotten MFAs where they've been told that even, thinking about money somehow sullies the experience of making work, which I just think is nonsense. I'm also a Capricorn, so all I want to do is talk about money all the time. It's my favorite thing to think about and and strategize around. And so for my clients, no matter where they are sort of on the spectrum and continuum of their experience living in capitalism and making work, I think a goal from them for them always, even if they feel guilt or shame about it, is they would like to earn some money through their practice. They maybe have no idea how to do that, or they feel shame about that. But, and
0: I think that's a really good thing, because I believe art is labor and should be compensated. I really love that about you. Oh. <laughs> um, this leads me to one of our advice questions. What is your advice regarding setting rates versus sliding scale because, of ba- because boundaries but ethics?
1: Mm. I don't do sliding scale. I am anti-sliding scale in my practice. Here's why. I know people's intimate financial details. Most people don't know other people's intimate financial details. And I know, because I have that information, that people's relationship to spending has no correlation to their resources. At all. <laughs> that blows my mind, actually, when you tell Ever. me that. That's crazy. And so I don't put myself in a position to be underpaid by somebody who can and should be paying the rate and then helping a person who doesn't have the money, debt. I'm not interested in doing that. So I have a very clear rate. It's one rate for everyone. And I do volunteerism. I have a pool of clients that I work for pro bono. So for me, I have really clear boundaries. This is the stuff I do for free. Everything else is paid.
0: I Well, that... That that actually leads me to something from your book, which is after the election, mm-hmm. people were like, I'm an artist, but maybe I should like become a lawyer or right, whatever. Right, right, right. And you actually had artists in your workshop making art during fascism. You had people go through and make lists of what they had to offer.
1: Oh yeah, Can yeah you yeah, talk yeah. about that was that? really smart.
0: That was really smart. I recommend everybody do this. Well, because it was like, everyone was like, oh, my God, the election happened. I have to drop everything I'm doing and, like, go march Washington and try to climb the fence and maybe try to do something and talk some sense into them.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, totally.
0: (laughs) Well, what I found after the election, I was having these free
1: weekly like social emergency response gatherings aimed toward artists. It was called Making Art During Fascism based on a pamphlet that I wrote and was distributing. And it was a framework to think about for artists. Like, what do I do now? How do I keep having my practice? And but Trump, you know what I mean? Like that was sort of the essence of the thing. And what I kept hearing from people is overwhelmed. rage, right? And rage is exhausting. We can't maintain it for very long. And so I like to help people sort of facilitate having feelings and then have a plan, move into action. And I would hear people fixate on what they didn't have to give and sort of ignore all the resources that they had to give. So I would ask people to itemize What resources do you have to share with any kind of justice-seeking to build the world you want to live in, right? I would ask them to identify specific issues that they wanted to focus resources on and to quantify them. Is it time? How much time per month? Is it money? How much per month? Is it space, equipment, skills? What are they? Like, actually itemize them. And then write down, what do you not have available right now? And then I would actually make them write, that's okay, next to all of the things they didn't have to offer. That's nice. I know. Um, And the point of that was so that people could see quantified in front of them what they had to offer their vision of justice And then to decide where they wanted those resources to go to get practical Because I think it's really when we're sort of emotionally reacting to what's happening around us, which is inevitable We get stuck on overwhelm and what we don't have and we miss all that we have to give and for artists Sharing your work or using your creative scale is like one resource. And for a lot of my clients, they felt relieved to know that they didn't have to share that if they didn't want to. That that was a resource, but they didn't have to share that one. That that could stay in their practice. They didn't have to sort of give that over in some way because they had other things to offer as well.
0: Yeah, and you also had people make a list of... Um communities that they were actually attached to that were affected by all of this Mm -hmm. and communities they were not attached to.
1: Yes, yeah. I'm a big fan of... I, I would ask people to think of one issue that directly affects them that they want to pour resources into, the resources they just identified. Understanding that all things are interconnected, but I actually think... I actually think social justice sort of, in my mind, works better when you go narrow and deep for the long haul rather than stay shallow and really spread out and it's more sustainable. So I would ask people to choose something that directly affects them that they know they want to put resources toward. Then I would ask them to pick an area that does not directly affect them. Maybe it affects somebody more vulnerable than them. Who do they want to be of service to and what resources can they put there? It's really hard for people to sort of narrow and focus. But what I observe in artists and sort of all people is that when we don't sort of decide and and make choices about where to put our time and resources, we get overwhelmed, start telling ourselves we're pieces of shit and shut down and become isolated.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say one thing about the sliding scale thing. I had that thought about this for a while, and I actually, I used to do pet portraits, and I stopped for a while because I felt like I couldn't charge enough for my friends to be able to afford them so then I just felt bad about it Mm -hmm. so I just stopped doing it all together until I could get some boundaries and start again Mm -hmm. and I realized that I have a lot of different things that people of different income brackets can buy Mm -hmm. like I have things that cost $10 or $5 like for years I've like artists whose work I can't afford I'll buy a a greeting card and Mm -hmm. frame it and so it's like I have a tiny version of their thing in my home, yeah. and I can't afford the other thing, and that's okay. They don't have to give it to me mm-hmm. just because I really want it. Right. You know, like art, like you know, like custom art is lovely, but it's not like it's not like a liver or a kidney. It's right. not like food. It's not like if yeah. I don't give it to somebody that they will die. Yeah. It's just like they can work for it and earn it the way that I.
1: Yeah. Well, and when or, I hear that not question, not to be it's so American Dream. Where, about it. can? Where is the one I want to see the specific
0: language? The language.
1: Dot, 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 ethics, question Setting, mark? setting rates. Um, and the best advice I've ever gotten on asking for money, because I work for myself, so I have to set my own rates all the time for things. And I have a lot of people in my life who have to do the same. And a lot of the people I work with were socialized to undervalue their time and services and that to feel bad asking for money, that somehow they're asking for too much or all of this stuff, right? And so what I, would, what I learned was that you ask for as much money as you can say with a straight
0: face, I've heard that many times and I find it to be very good. Friends, have you ever wanted to enjoy good vegan cheese and run into a few problems? Well, those days are over. Try a new Urban Cheesecraft vegan cheese mix available in 10 varieties, including Brie, Pepper Jack, and Creamy macaroni and cheese sauce. You customize your cheese with a base of nuts, seeds, veggies or beans, and then you can add kimchi, fresh herbs or hot peppers if you want. Solid wheels take 30 minutes and melty sauces just 15. Find the mixes in cute helpful how-to videos on urbancheesecraft.com. Um okay, we have some more. What have you sacrificed for your art? I'm going to say I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. You can answer that one. I've sacrificed so much friendship stuff, like chill stuff, like, you know, like having to do a book, like a graphic novel like this, you know, everyone, like, I don't, I don't really drink. Like when I go on tour and people are like, this is fun. Let's have a drink. I'm like, oh, no. My immune system can't take it. I have to go to the next place to promote my art. I can't get sick. Or, like, if I'm working on a book like this and everyone's out, they're like, you want to go to happy hour? I'm like, I can go have a meal with you for 45 minutes and then I need to go work. And they're like, God, you work all the time. And I'm like, no, I just work every day and my hours are different. You know, I just – so I've sacrificed a lot of those things. And there have been times when I just had to have, like, my specific friends also – I have sacrificed financial security for many years to be an artist. I mean, there were times in Portland I was working at, like, the feminist bookstore, the IPRC, and then making pet portraits, and my teeth were, like, rotting out of my head. There was a year where I only had soft room temperature foods because my teeth had broken. I couldn't afford to fix them because I worked at nonprofits and I was an artist, and I was like, my life sucks. And then, (laughs) I mean, I just, I sacrificed that because I hadn't even thought about it Mm because I didn't even, my own care, like, having insurance that worked. Like, having a savings. Like, none of those things had come through my mind because I was like, ooh, capitalism. Mm. I was like, but I'm doing all these things that I love very much. Mm-hmm. And so it was worth it for me. But th- th- I'm not saying those are sacrifices you should make. I don't find any glamour in being like, yeah. But that's know, been your experience you're like, what you've done. Yeah. That's, no. Those are things that I've done. And I don't know if I would do them all again. But yeah. there's things that I don't happen. make anything, so I
1: haven't sacrificed
0: anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't sacrifice anything. <laughs> do you all feel like you're constantly hustling and not necessarily reaping any rewards? I mean,
1: I work for myself, and that is a certain hustle, right? Anybody who's self-employed and you rely on yourself for your paycheck, there is a – it's never too far from my mind, sort of like, okay, what? how's the math working out next month and the following month? So that is – that's always there. I got to say for – because probably a lot of people in here sort of – you're responsible for your own income in some way. You work for yourself or you freelance or you piece it together, and – I would say my best advice that I follow <laughs> on being self employed is that I have to take advantage of all the good things about being self employed to make the hard things worth it, or else what's the point?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm always hustling, but it's things that I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I have to remind myself that I'm lucky. Like I went to, I you know, like you get to do this. Like yes. you asked for this and now you get to do this. Yes. So, you know Yeah. Totally on my book tour.
1: Um, I've been on the road on and off since the end of, uh, or the beginning of the month, and I make a gratitude list each new city I get to.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. Um, Okay, this one's a funny one. What should you do when you're in a professional training, and a white man starts talking about ancient warriors, tribes, and wolves, and you want him to stop?
1: I would make, make like, a grocery list in your mind. Just kind of, like, check out, you know. (laughs) <laughs> I need more context to know like exactly what's going on and why it's happening but when somebody is just like I don't want to hear anything they have to say I just start making lists in my mind
0: and do you smile and nod and go you might be right <laughs> that's like a well, weird it, like, uh, veiled therapeutic term yeah, of saying fuck you, you it's right. like you might be right <laughs> <laughs> um, now this person says and I have to say about this really quick what are some good examples of great artists with long-standing day jobs and I will say oh, as a cartoonist yeah. most of the people that use mm-hmm. okay All famous cartoonists, except for maybe Arkham, I don't know, have another side hustle. Like, Chris Mm -hmm. Ware does New Yorker covers, not because it's just so fun, but because Mm -hmm. he gets paid to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, Dan Klaus does illustrations, not because it's such a great time and he's just, like, giggling in a studio and someone just happened to come pick it up from, like, his desk when he went to sleep that night. It's because he's getting paid for that because he has kids and he has to pay for their life and like he wrote the screenplay for ghost world and that was a lot of work and he did that because that's a job he got paid for so you might see people you're like well i've seen a lot of their books so they must be set yeah no they no. have to still keep making books for the rest of their life or they have to leverage their art into something else yeah and one more thing about that is any cartoonist i know that works all day just on cartoons has secret money or mm-hmm. a day job you don't know about yeah comics doesn't pay it doesn't pay <laughs> like that where you get to be like Ah, and then like what will I draw today who cares <laughs> it'll pay yeah.
1: I have very few clients who a hundred percent support themselves from their art and even those who do a portion of the work that they're making all or a portion is not necessarily what they want to make in that moment it's what is going to sell right um, and yeah and, and, and I do have clients who don't have to earn money they have unearned income they are not happier hmm and they are not managing their time better.
0: How much time should I spend trying to promote work on social media? Also, I don't like hashtags. <laughs> social media, I have to tell you, it's important. Mm-hmm. It's distracted. Don't let it distract from my actual work, but it's so important that it actually got someone elected. Oh.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Ooh, mic drop. I don't even know what to say after that. No, I would say... Um, <laughs> I, with all of my clients, we sort of survey the role of social media in their life. What, where is it on the continuum of they're using it to connect and market their work and they're hurting themselves. Like, where are they on that continuum? And that changes throughout the day, maybe the month, the year. Um, and I do think because of the time that we're in, this is one of the major marketing platforms. If we were talking 30 years ago in different clothes, um, maybe we would We'd be talking about where we were maybe buying ads, but this is the way to market things. I also have, I've been very um, internet phobic. <laughs> I'm a very late adopter to all things with technology. But I knew when this book was coming out, and, and so my consulting practice, I didn't have a website. I did no advertising. It was all word of mouth. And I was very fortunate that I could keep it that way. But I knew I had a book coming out. You can't sell a book word of mouth. That is not how it happens. So- I, even though I didn't want to, I set up a professional Instagram account last summer, and I, made, I consulted with a friend who was very good at internet, and he worked for BuzzFeed, and he was like, okay, this is how you do an Instagram account. This is how you do it and make it work for you. He just told me over an hour like sort of the formula, and I just started doing it, and I made it part of my work day. So five days a week, part of my workday is my professional social media. I don't have any other social media. I have like a dead Facebook account somewhere and a dead personal Instagram account somewhere, but I don't use those. So it's now that I have this one account. I use it to promote. It was all to promote my book, and it worked. And, it, and I got to tell you, everywhere I've gone, like my, I did a workshop in, in Brooklyn, everyone who came to my workshop Follows me on Instagram. That's how they found me. How
0: much time would you
1: tell someone to
0: devote to that versus their practice? Oh, I would say, so when I'm working,
1: I'll take between 5 and 20 minutes on a post, depending on sort of how complicated it is. And I have a day a week. I always have a day a week when I don't do anything with any social media. Um, The good thing about if you include it as part of the business side of your practice is after you're done with that, you can see if you're just hurting yourself with it. Right. You can see if you're just sort of like whiling away time on it and and hurting yourself.
0: Yeah. Dear Beth (laughs) and Nicole, I struggle working my nine to five emotionally, physically, creatively, but I need money. Mm -hmm. I feel like my art suffers, but I'm scared to risk financial instability. Mm -hmm. What do I do? Um, I
1: well, I would have to assess some things with this person, but first I would need to know more about their job. I and whether there's a different full-time job that they might be better suited for or whether they need to change their relationship to when and how they're making their work. Um, I think if you sort of just reframe your practice a tiny bit, just a couple of degrees, and think that this every week is something you have to do to take care of yourself, just like you have to exercise your body in some way and you've got to eat some vegetables and you've got to spend time with people you love, that this is one of the things you have to do during the week to take care of yourself and you, that you have to protect the time the world only wants to distract you from it it is up to the artist to protect and jealously guard their time for their practice the world only wants to take it from you
0: we have time for just a couple more what is something you're not telling us
1: I love that question And there's a
0: moon on the back It's a mystical question What am I
1: not telling you?
0: I'm not telling you that I taught The same goddamn workshop Five times in a row today To 7th graders and twice yesterday So seven times in a row I was like, okay, your character doesn't have to be human But you have to tell a true story I said that over and over again and mm-hmm. I taught them how to read comics left to right and up to down mm-hmm. and showed them a comic about someone picking his nose as an example mm-hmm. and it's so hard for me to not say the F word oh, this is like yeah. I'm not telling you <laughs> when there's kids and they keep talking over you I want to say, just shut the fuck up yeah. like, watch, fucking shut up shut you up. guys But like, I, have, I have to say like <laughs> okay everyone <laughs> <laughs> hey, sh- Hey, shh. Hey, some kids, I'm like, can you be quiet? Thanks. I do that, but I want to say, can you shut the fuck up? Yeah. Not in a dissing way. I just want them to be quiet.
1: What I'm not telling you that I'll now tell you is I, since I got here, I've been thinking, where are we having dinner after? Oh. That is the thing that's like, I'm obsessing over. Where are we having
0: dinner? Well, I had a hot walk. Beforehand, I mean, I have plenty of space, but I had a hot walk so that I wouldn't become low blood sugar in the middle of this. Yeah. And then just look at you going. Yeah. I'm not hangry, uh, but I'm aware. You know what okay, I mean? Yeah. Okay, I have a couple more questions. Gosh. All right. I, as a journalist, I'm not allowed to pay. This is, these, are, these three are rapid fire. As a journalist, I'm not allowed to pay subjects. Mm-hmm. So I'm forced to ask people of color and LGBTQ plus folks for mm-hmm. free labor or at least unpaid time. Mm-hmm. How do I not feel like shit about that?
1: Well, I mean it's within the ethics of your profession that you need to stick to, but I think a way you maybe help yourself is can sort of your volunteerism or a portion of your like how you do community giving be directed at these communities mm-hmm. outside of your job.
0: Yeah. I say if you are if you're amplifying their positions that might be a way. If you're amplifying something good about what they're saying, maybe that could be a way that you could feel like okay, you're actually doing something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Advice for keeping going with the very long project. I say Oh, you uh, have good ones for uh, progress thermometer. Mm-hmm. I swear to god, like just a little bit at a time and it feels like nothing while you're doing it. Every day feels like you're throwing a stone into the void, but you look at it from afar and you're like, "Holy cow, yeah. I filled up half this thermometer." Yeah. Also, I like that quote that Chuck Close quote that says, "Inspirations for amateurs, I just get to work." Mm-hmm. Like if you're a cartoonist, a book like this size doesn't happen because you're like, "I feel great, I feel inspired." It mm-hmm. happens because you're like,
1: There's something wrong.
0: You guys keep, you guys enjoy your cocktail. I'm going to work. Yeah. I'm actually going to get a coffee and then you feel a little bit like you know superior uh, superior and then you go (laughs) sit at work and cry (laughs) but you keep doing it and then you have a long project yeah
1: i'd also say other people have other people sort of keep you going like do it for one another
0: um last question what if you don't want to make it big
1: Mm, i need more information from this person i don't know if i fully believe
0: you you don't know if you fully believe them? You yeah. think they might want to make it big? Or I wonder if they think
1: some version of success is something they can't have or it's bad or something bad will happen to them or they won't be lovable anymore. Or if maybe there's other kinds of success they don't want that they're not looking at.
0: Can I ask you, my last question is, yeah. can you talk about accomplishment versus success? Ooh. Well, let me start with this. I There is no
1: correlation between external measurements of success And the value of your work, those do not correlate, right? So lots of dumb things ascend and get tons of resources. We can look at popular culture. And lots of brilliant things and brilliant people don't get money, don't get well-known. There's not a correlation, right? And so if you look to outside validation to fill up the gaping hole that surely exists in you because it exists in all people, it will always just be dumped into an endless pit, right? You have to build it up around and look to not compare other people's outsides to your insides, which is very difficult in the era of social media. But accomplishment versus success. I think accomplishment is like sort of being proud from the inside, and success is external measurements that maybe I agree with, maybe I don't. Or maybe those, I think sometimes success is like this thing that keeps, when I almost, get to it it just keeps getting pushed a little bit further a little bit further whereas mm-hmm. accomplishment is something I can look at and say oh I'm so proud of myself like when I have inscribed my book to myself <laughs> I said dear Beth I am so proud of you you are incredible because I was so proud I was like look I made a book who knew I couldn't believe I did that even a short one I had no idea
0: Today's episode of Sagittarian Matters brought to you by Urban Cheesecraft, Mary Pinson, Matt Stern, Shoshana Ruth Wector, and Christy Herod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, including producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Thank you for your support. And we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Panya
1: looks forward to it too.
0: Don't be scared, that's her voice. Thank you. Is Panya an artist or a business dog? Panyo is... Um, Marketing ploy. Panyo's <laughs> business is friendship. And so Panyo actually is very accomplished in the business of friendship. Panyo has a lot of success also. Around friendship, she has a lot of friends, and she always loves making new friends. Um, I don't know if she's an artist. I don't know if she knows what that is um i am struggling to find like clarity of mind among like a really busy schedule and looking for tricks or mm. just ways
1: of trying to access that besides meditation a lot of people just i mean the first fact. thing i'll say is meditation <laughs> and maybe or do you use social media do
0: I use yeah. yeah
1: get off of it just for two weeks oh. just for two weeks just to see what happens just to gather some data like Actually block it. Download the thing that blocks it across all your devices so that you cannot use it. If, if you can do that because you don't need to do it for your job, get rid of it. Just declutter.
0: Mm. Great. Any La- other desire? Last question. Last desire. Did you really only apply for the amazing race one time? <laughs> well, that's a really great question. Thank you, anonymous questioner in the back. Um, I've applied about five times. And I'll tell you, I got accepted. To The Amazing Race, and my Amazing Race partner bailed at the last minute, and it was the, that was the greatest heartbreak of my life, yeah. give or take. Top three. Yeah. two, it wasn't Beth Pickens? No. It wasn't Beth Pickens. Um, no. I dated... St- I
1: wouldn't be... You would not have done this with no. me if I had bailed on The Amazing Race.
0: It was a romantic partner who looked like we were siblings, and who was such a nerd he just couldn't keep it to himself, and they really liked that. <laughs> They really liked that. They thought we would be great. They could tell we kind of bugged each other. Uh They chose us. They offered to fly us out for finals week. They were, like, you know, buttering us up. You guys are going to be so great. It's going to be so great. They're going to love. They're definitely, I think we can move you through to the show. We'll fly you to L.A. We'll put you up in a hotel. And then at the last minute, my partner bailed.
1: Yeah. And I feel like that was that rejection was the universe's protection. Something bad was going to happen.
0: <laughs> I don't think so. I could be doing a mall signing in a JCPenney's right now, <laughs> like somewhere, like in a half-empty mall. You know, be like me, Nicole and Kevin. You know, Panyo maybe wouldn't even Ponyo I would have given her away or something, oh, so yeah. that I could keep up with my international your touring alternate schedule. life. That yeah.
1: might be a good graphic novel, like the life that would have happened if you gotten on the Amazing Race. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you thank very you much, so everybody, much for being here.